The following podcast covers the topic of silicosis in the engineered or artificial stone benchtop fabrication industry. Host Anna Milosavlovich is a scientific officer and occupational hygienist with WorkSafe WA. She is joined by Dr. Catherine Nixon, an occupational physician who currently provides health monitoring for workers exposed to hazardous substances, including silica. They outline what silicosis is, how it is contracted, and how to implement effective workplace controls to protect workers from this deadly disease. Hello, I'm Anna Milosavlovich. Today we are going to discuss the importance of health monitoring and effective workplace controls to prevent silicosis in the engineered stone benchtop industry. My special guest today is Dr. Catherine Nixon. Dr. Nixon is an occupational physician with a special interest in occupational hazards and health monitoring. Dr. Nixon grew up in regional WA. She completed her medical degree at the University of Western Australia and worked as a country GP and in country hospitals around WA and Queensland for many years. Her encounter with regional workers and interest in their health at work drove her to complete further training in occupational medicine. She is passionate about protecting workers' health and provides advice on silica health monitoring programs for various organisations. Dr Nixon, thank you so much for joining us today. Catherine, in recent years, there has been some media attention about exposure to silica in the engineered stone industry and reports of death amongst young workers with silicosis. Can you tell us what is silicosis? Silicosis is scarring of the tissues in the lung that is caused by breathing in silica dust. And the scarring in the lung tissues is a combination of the silica particles depositing in the lungs and the reaction of the immune system of the body as it tries to clean out this foreign material. And I think it's really important for our listeners to know that there are different types of silicosis. So the most common type is chronic or simple silicosis, where the damage in the lungs usually takes 20 or 30 years or longer to develop. In this type of silicosis, most workers do not have any symptoms in the early stage of the disease. And as they get older, they don't necessarily associate their symptoms with their silica dust exposure. They just assume that being fatigued or getting short of breath when walking up a hill is just part of getting old. Catherine, I was really shocked to find out that the youngest engineered stone worker to be diagnosed with silicosis in Australia is only 22 years old. And the first young worker to die of occupational silicosis was only 36 years old. Can you tell us more about the young workers who have been diagnosed or have died from silicosis? The young workers who have died from silicosis had a second type of silicosis called accelerated silicosis, where the lung scarring may start after only a few months of silica exposure, and they may go on to develop a condition called progressive massive fibrosis, where the silica causes large nodules or scars and the lung tissues break down. And these workers, which can include men and women aged only in their 20s or 30s or 40s, develop this progressive massive fibrosis after only 2 to 10 years of silica exposure. So in 2 to 10 years, they've gone from healthy young people to having lungs with such little tissue that they cannot transfer enough enough oxygen to keep themselves alive. So what are the common symptoms that workers should be aware of? As I said before, Anna, in the early stages, many workers have no symptoms However, once the silicosis starts, it's a progressive disease and at some stage, the worker will feel more tired than usual, maybe have a bit of a cough, then start to feel more short of breath when walking up a hill. 
then they can no longer keep up with his or her partner when they go walking together. And the common thing to do is just assume that this is from getting older or from smoking or being unfit. But the damage gets worse over time and it's irreversible. And in a comparatively short time, the worker may have symptoms that are similar to a person who has emphysema from years of smoking, where his or her lungs do not give them enough oxygen to function normally, even at rest. So it's important for workers to be aware of these early signs and go see their doctor for a checkup if they've had any previous exposure to silica. Anna, I would go back a step further and strongly encourage workers to be aware of the amount of respirable crystalline silica they breathe in at work. Respirable crystalline silica are particles of silica that are small enough to get all the way through to the lungs, into the alveolar or air sacs. And these particles may be so small that they're not necessarily visible in the air. So just because you can't see the dust, it doesn't mean that you're safe. Yeah, that's right, Anna. And secondly, then if you don't feel well or you have those symptoms that we've mentioned, go see your doctor and make sure they know about the work that you do. The early detection of silicosis means that an employer will know that they need to review their risk factors and improve work practices to reduce silica exposure. I have done testing, personal air monitoring, for many engineered stone workers. The results showed significantly elevated silica levels and indicated that these workers are indeed at a greater risk. This is because the engineered stone products that they use may contain up to 95% respirable crystalline silica. And as you mentioned previously, this dust is very fine and the workers don't realise that they are being exposed to silica. So, is what I'm seeing and measuring as an occupational hygienist consistent with what you are seeing in the medical field? Absolutely, yes. Preventing the accelerated silicosis is a priority because once the disease process starts, the scarring and loss of lung tissue will keep going on and getting worse, even if you remove the worker from the silica exposure. Also, respirable crystalline silica not only causes silicosis, but it can cause chronic bronchitis and lung cancer, and it's associated with an increased risk of other diseases, including diseases that cause inflammation of the joints. The most effective way to protect workers from silicosis and other respiratory disease is to reduce the amount of silica dust they are breathing in from the very moment they start work. Yes, I absolutely agree. It's very important that workers are aware of the potential risk to their health and have safe practices from day one. In my experience, I have seen that most workplaces are trying to do the right thing. Dry cutting is prohibited and wet work methods are used to reduce the silica risk. However, it's important to understand that the use of water for dust suppression doesn't necessarily guarantee that workers are safe. Often the water that they use is recycled process water. This may not be adequately purified, so it contains silica. So when the workers apply this water to rotating blades on the grinding and polishing tools, this aerosolises the water and generates water mist, which may increase the level of silica in the air. The water droplets eventually settle onto surfaces and tools and dry out, potentially becoming an inhalation risk. That's a good point, Anna. I also try and promote personal hygiene as a way to stop the silica getting into the air where it can be breathed in. So workers should wash their hands and face once they stop working. If possible, don't eat, smoke or drink in the fabrication workshop. Some workers have told me they use compressed air to blow the dust off their clothes or the work surface, but this is dangerous because it increases the amount of silica in the air. 
And you might also want to consider protecting your family and friends. And I try to convey to the workers the importance of going home clean. Workers should clean up before they go home and take off their dirty clothes, shower and change into clean clothing. And the dirty clothing ideally should be laundered at the workplace to reduce the risk to other people. Catherine, as an occupational physician, can you tell us a little bit about your role in health monitoring and preventing silicosis? Occupational physicians are doctors who specialise in work-related health and illness, and they're a really useful resource for both employers and workers. You see many companies and their workers think, well, this is just dust, why bother? We've been doing this for years. And from my experience, I've found that in many workplaces, particularly those that are smaller, there's also a lot of uncertainty about what is the actual risk of the silica exposure to our workers? Well, as an occupational physician, we see firsthand what goes wrong, but we can also help the workplaces work out how best to protect their workers. So occupational physicians can visit the work site, work out the level of risk to the workers, look at the control measures that are in place and give advice on how adequate they actually are and how they can be improved. We can also provide education on how best to control or reduce the silica exposure to workers and on safe work practices, including respiratory protection. We can also provide a plan and undertake the health monitoring on workers that is a requirement for workers exposed to respirable crystalline silica. Catherine, you are right. And under work health and safety legislation, employers must provide health monitoring for all workers exposed to silica. Not only engineered stone workers, but also construction and mining workers and sample prep workers who crush and mill samples in assay laboratories. Catherine, with the many silica health monitoring jobs that you have completed and the many different types of companies you deal with, what have you found to be the main issues that concern you? My main concern is that people don't understand just how dangerous silica dust can be to their health. And this includes both employers and workers. So there are employers who will complain about the costs associated with providing respirators or health monitoring. There are some employers who will try to get away with using dust masks rather than fitted respirators. And some employers are not keen to give workers time during their work shift to change and shower. Then on the other hand, I have workers who are not clean shaven. If you're not clean shaven, then your respirator is not going to fit properly and you're breathing in silica dust. Sometimes workers don't use their respirators correctly, like it sits loosely around your face or you take them off and talk to others in the work area. Or they leave their respirators on a dirty work surface and then put it back on their face without cleaning it first. So how big do you think this problem is in industry? The risk depends on the amount of silica dust generated and how well it is controlled. So workers who process engineered stone are at a much greater risk. And as you mentioned earlier, Anna, silica from engineered stone has a number of unique characteristics, including its much higher silica content that make it more dangerous. So the fabrication activities such as the cutting, grinding, sanding and polishing engineered stone produces a very fine silica dust and workers in this industry are at much greater risk of developing silicosis at a much younger age. There's also the nature of how the engineered stone benchtop industry works. This is an industry where they work in an uncontrolled environment, for instance, a person's home. It's highly competitive and there's the expectation to do the job quickly. And there were many small businesses which set up quickly without considering how they were going to manage the hazardous dust. 
Fortunately, since 2020 and after a lot of publicity about engineered stone workers developing silicosis, the engineered stone workplaces have improved their work practices a lot. So when workers give you feedback that indicates that their workplace controls are insufficient and that they may indeed be at risk, how do you manage this? If I'm concerned about the controls, my first step is always to contact the company to discuss my concerns. Most times I find the employers or managers are not sure what they need to do, but they want to do the right thing. And occupational physicians can help a company work through their hierarchy of controls. And this can range from advice about barriers to isolate where the silica works take place, all the way through to reducing the amount of airborne dust by using a HEPA vacuum instead of dry sweeping. The respiratory protection required is a common issue. Dust masks are usually inadequate. Fitted half-face respirators would be better, but if you're wanting to provide the best respiratory protection, then ideally workers should use PAPR, powered air purifying respirators. Not only do these provide the highest level of respiratory protection, but most workers tell me they're very comfortable to use. I also strongly recommend that companies seek guidance from an occupational hygienist to provide an assessment on the amount of silica dust generated from specific tasks and to provide advice on effective workplace dust controls. Do you ever visit the workplaces? Yes, I'm always very pleased when an employer is happy for me to visit their worksite to assess the hazard, to understand their work processes and to speak directly to their workers and management. It gives me a much better understanding of what is occurring at the workplace and gives me the ability to engage with both the employer and the workers to work together to further reduce their exposure to silica dust. As the health monitoring doctor, I'm also obliged to provide advice to the employer on remedial measures for the protection of workers' health. Occasionally, of course, the employers and the workers are just not receptive to my advice. As an occupational physician, if you see someone who has really good controls in their workplace and the workers do not have silicosis, does that mean that they don't require any health monitoring? If workers are exposed to silica dust, even if they wear top-notch protective equipment and use wet work processes, they are going to require health monitoring for the duration of their employment. The most important reason for this is that controls can fail. Health monitoring is a way to measure the effectiveness of these controls. And a health monitoring program is designed to pick up the changes in the worker's health before they become irreversible and so that the company can implement a change in controls. Yes, absolutely. And that's why health monitoring is so important. Sometimes I find that there's a misunderstanding about the risk. Some employers and workers have told me that their air monitoring results were really low. So they believe that they're safe and they don't need to wear a respirator but it's important to understand the limitations of air monitoring. The results are an indication of the workplace condition and tasks performed only at the time of testing. We know that work activities and controls can change daily, that workers may use different tools or that controls may fail. So it's important to still use respiratory protection to safeguard your health. I agree that workers should always wear a respirator because the silica dust risk is still there. And I would also caution that as the years go by, so-called safe levels of silica exposure may drop. We've seen this with a number of workplace hazards, the classic being lead, where with time and further research, we realise that workers experience adverse health effects at lower levels of exposure. And so the workplace exposure standards has dropped over time. 
What advice do you have to help workers look after their own health? Well, there's a number of different approaches they can adopt. The absolute best approach would be to consider a company that can substitute the engineered stone for a safer project or to use natural stone where possible. I think it's really important to look at the amount of airborne dust and to reduce that amount to as low as possible. Don't dry cut. Don't use compressed air to clean the dust off yourself. Use on-tool extraction. Work in a well-ventilated area. And use a small vacuum to clean your worksite, including the rafters above your head. As I've already discussed, I think personal hygiene is a priority and that workers should go home clean, their clothes laundered at work, And I think a really important message to workers is to consider stopping smoking if you possibly can. And the reason for this is that the silica dust and smoking has what we call a synergistic effect. That is, it sort of multiplies on itself in terms of the amount of damage it causes to the lungs. Finally, I would also recommend that you look at your respiratory protection and wear the best respiratory protection possible, preferably a PAPR, and to be clean shaven so that any respirator that you use is well sealed to your face. I would also look at keeping your respirators very, very clean. So clean them before you use and after use and then store them in a clean airtight container away from the work area. Catherine, can you explain the components of health monitoring for silica in WA? The key component is a health monitoring medical appointment, which is supervised by a registered medical practitioner who is a doctor with the expertise to understand the results. So individual workers go in for a medical where a doctor checks them for symptoms, examines them and looks at a lung function test, which is a breathing test, and perhaps organises a CT scan called an LDCT of their chest. However, it's really important to note that this is just a measure of one person in one point of time and the most effective health monitoring follows this worker from pre-employment before he or she has had any silica exposure over the years and picks up the early changes. And for workers exposed to respirable crystalline silica, this medical occurs every year. And as I've said before, a health monitoring program is designed to pick up changes in the worker's health before these changes become irreversible. And this also allows a company to change their controls to protect not only that worker, but other workers. In 2021, WA introduced the requirement for a low-dose, high-resolution CT scan as part of health monitoring for silica exposure. Yes, that's correct. WA legislation requires an LDCT scan of the chest as a screening tool for monitoring silica exposure. So for engineered stone benchtop workers, this scan occurs every two years. Can you explain some circumstances where it might not be appropriate to have a a low-dose CT scan as part of the health monitoring? An LDCT is not required in workers new to the engineered stone industry unless there is a history of prior significant silica or mixed dust exposure for two years or more. That's a really good point. For example, a young 18-year-old worker who's just left school, they wouldn't have any exposure to silica, so you definitely wouldn't need a a low-dose CT. And Catherine, what about other industries that work with natural stone? Natural stone has a much lower crystalline silica content and workers in these industries have different requirements. They only require an LDCT every five years. Anyone new to these other industries with no prior significant silica or mixed dust exposure for five years or more 
are not required to have an LDCT. Thank you for clarifying the health monitoring guidelines. And thank you to all our listeners. If you'd like more information about silica, please refer to the WorkSafe WA Code of Practice, Managing the Risks of Respirable Crystalline Silica for Engineered Stone in the Workplace. Well, Catherine, it's been a pleasure talking to you today. Your passion and commitment to protecting the health of workers is evident. And thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Thank you.